in this. We have spent some time looking into Ephesians 4, and we've done this as a means of fleshing out what a life of love looks like. Because as we were going through the letter of John, the first letter of John, John said that now we're, we're living in a community in which God is present, in which we are transformed, and it needs to be a community of love. We need to live graciously. So he reminded us that everything that we are doing, everything that we are talking about, has led up to living with one another in God's love. And Ephesians 4 is a great way to unpack that, asking the question, what does that actually look like? And what Ephesians 4 has told us, that we're putting off an old nature, a nature which is corrupted through sin, a nature which is degraded and destroyed because of our own willfulness against God. It's not because of something that's been done to us. The fact is that we neglect God. We ignore him. Uh, That alone brings us into a degraded estate. So we're putting off that old nature, but we're putting on a new nature, which is being made like Christ. Being made like Christ. So as we look through the Gospels and we see the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we see him on on a daily basis interacting with the crowds and interacting with people, that's what we are being transformed to be made to look like, to look like him. He is the first person of a new humanity, a transformed humanity. And for each one of us who have submitted to the Lord and we've had our lives changed, we've been born from above, we are being transformed to be like that first new man that is Christ, uh, the new humanity. This means being renewed in our minds, renewed in our thinking. It means putting away falsehood and speaking truth to one another, speaking truth in love. It means being angry about the right things. And when we are angry, recognizing its limits and its boundaries so that sin doesn't take a hold of us. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the fact that it also means working so that we have something to give to others. Working so that we can extend ourselves generously to others. Now, the fact is, we had no real interest in these things before our conversion to Christ. They didn't mean anything to us. We didn't care about them. But now that we've come to know Jesus as our Savior, we want instructions on how to live that life. We, want to, we have a desire to be like Christ in his loveliness. Well, in... Putting off the old nature and being renewed in our minds and putting on the new nature, we now come to instructions on how to use the most powerful tool which has been handed over to us as a human being, as human beings. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. I'm going to ask that we stand together as the word of God is read. Ephesians 4, verses 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, just in reading these words, it convicts us. Certainly convicts me. How quick I am am to use my tongue wrongly. How we would pray as we look into this passage, we would be moved, we would be encouraged to use this powerful gift of language in such a way as to strengthen and bless others. Teach us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Please be seated. I just recently uh, had a conversation with somebody that said they had gone on a tour in England and they were, uh, the tour guide was somebody who they had a great deal of respect for in terms of that person's writings, in terms of that person's uh, lectures and so on. But as they were on the tour, in the course of the tour, that tour guide was occasionally vulgar and demeaning. And it caught the individual off guard, and they they were brokenhearted. And and at some level, their respect diminished for that person and their work. And so the power of speech really comes clear through that generalized example. In Genesis chapter 1... In the very opening pages of scripture, as we are introduced to God and his work and his purposes, we are shown that God speaks the whole of creation, bringing it into existence. Repeatedly throughout Genesis chapter 1, we have the words, and God said, and the thing came to pass, and then it closed with, and it was so. God speaks, and the very power of his word brings to pass the thing that he wants done, the thing that he intends to accomplish. And then at the very close of that creation passage, we have this statement where God says, let us make man in our image. Is that not fascinating? The one thing that we're introduced to is that God is a speaking God. God is a God who speaks with power. His words have power. His words produce something. And then he says, let us make man in our image. Does that not intrigue you that we are speaking creatures? That we are creatures who have the ability to communicate with words? We are made in God's image, and therefore we shall be speaking creatures, and we shall be creative beings. There will be effectualness in our words. Speech, the use of words to communicate, is one aspect of being an image bearer. 
God spoke all things into existence. We have remarkable power of speech. Now, it's true, birds will mark out their territory with song. Animals will mark out their territory sometimes with sounds. But there's no such thing as speech except in humans. Speech which communicates ideas. Let me illustrate to you the power of speech. Close your eyes if you wish. But come fishing with me and my dad. We are in the rising days of summer before the weather gets too warm to lounge outside. It's early morning on South Twin Lake as we quietly climb into our boat and push off from the dock. The metal of the boat is cool and wet. The day is brightening to reveal a low fog over the water. The sun is not yet breaking on the horizon. But the woodpeckers are already hammering on the trees just to the right. And the morning doves are cooing to their mates, or maybe their children. As the trolling motor whirs in the distance through the fog, you can just see the line of light brown reeds where the fishing will be good this morning. The splash in the water just ahead to the left confirms it as a walleye snatches breakfast off the surface. The bow of the boat slides through the reeds slowly, jostling mayflies, which fly up in every direction, some landing on your shirt and some on your hands, tickling the skin. Did you see that in your mind? Did you feel that on your skin? Did you hear that off in the distance? I planted something in your mind. Totally intangible. And it was communicated to you and you received it. And it touched parts of your soul. That's an incredible power. That's an unbelievable power, the power of words spoken. I impacted, I inserted something into your imagination. We, get, we are given the power to communicate ideas, dreams, descriptions, thoughts. I love the term brainstorming. I mean, after yesterday with you know, some of the lightning and the rain and whatever it was going on, you know, brainstorming where you've got all this activity and there's flashes of light going around and something being produced from it. When you get into a group of people or a committee or whatever and you start brainstorming how to accomplish something, it's just, to me it's just an intriguing picture. So as image bearers, we have the power of speech. Not only that, but our speech, our words, have the power in people's lives. And because we're spiritual beings made in the image of God, our words have power and influence. Listen to Proverbs 15.4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. With our speech, we have the power of life and death. With your speech, you have the power of life 
or death. Now, the wonderful part about that is that we can take words and we can build a child's dreams and we can, with a few kind words, lift the heart of someone who's depressed and lost and longing for understanding. But the difficult thing is that we can take a child's sense of anticipation and expectation and we can kill it with the wrong words. We can take an adult's humble seeking of guidance and kill it with harsh criticism. Words carelessly spoken or wisely spoken or angrily spoken or gently spoken or deceitfully spoken have incredible impact. They can build trust or destroy trust. They can build hope or destroy hope. Dr. Paul Brand, who uh, did medical missions work in leper colonies, first began his practice in London, and there was a woman who came to him with stomach troubles, and he did an initial examination of her and said, well, you have gastritis. Let me give you these medications, and uh, it should quiet down. And the woman instantly looked at him with suspicion. And Paul Brand looked at her and thought, okay, she's not receiving what I'm saying. So he said, look, let's run a couple of tests. I'm going to prescribe these tests for you. And um, and when I get the results back, then we'll take, take a look at the results. So that took a couple of weeks. There were some dye that she was supposed to ingest and then some other pictures that were supposed to be taken. And when he got all of the results back, he laid them in front of the woman and said, these results show me that my original diagnosis is absolutely on target. You have gastritis. And if you take these medications, your stomach will quiet down. And the woman stared at him for almost two minutes. And finally she said, Okay, doctor, I trust you. And it came out that several years earlier, her mother was ill, complaining of stomach problems. A doctor was called in. The doctor said to the woman, you have gastritis. If you take this medication, then you'll be okay in a couple of days. They walked out of the room, and the doctor said to this girl at the time, Your mother has cancer. She's only going to live a couple of days. And at that point, she stopped trusting doctors. The power of speech. We have that tool in our mouths. We have that tool in ourselves. That's why your words are something of interest to the Lord. So since we have the power of speech, and as such the power to destroy and the power to give life, putting off the old man, putting off the old nature, and putting on the new nature is made obvious by how we use speech. Christ is the word, and therefore the words we use must be used to his purpose. When we have put off the old nature and put on the new nature, we will stop using language that is corrupt and degrading, and we will use language that is suitable for building others up. We will love others with our speech. 
Because we are partakers of life in Christ, we must use our speech to give life to those who hear us. As the wise collector of Proverbs has said, our speech needs to be apples of gold in settings of silver. So, several things that I would draw out from this passage, just a few phrases at a time. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building others up. No corrupting talk. The first thing is we need to be aware of what we say. We need to be aware of it. You know, we, we need to know what comes out of our hearts, or out of our mouths. Jesus says in Matthew fifteen eighteen, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. We're expected to know when our speech is unwholesome. As those who belong to Christ have him living in our hearts, we have power to govern our tongues. We're expected to govern our tongues. James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives himself. This person's religion is worthless. So corrupting talk here means rotten talk. Rotten words. That's, that's the literal translation, rotten words. And for most of us, we almost immediately think in terms of cursing or vulgarisms, right? That's mostly what we think of, vulgarities. But it includes so much more than cursing or vulgar language. Here are some forms of rotten words that we need to be aware of. Criticism, name-calling, backbiting, belittling, deceiving, manipulation, tattle-telling. That is, telling things about people that is not necessary, but it's juicy. Gossiping, flattery, slander, mischief. Boasting, lies. I'm sure that we can probably stack about two or three dozen more words in there that are going to give us an idea of what's being spoken of. But see, it's not just words. Sometimes it's how we use language to accomplish certain things. There are some people who speak just to fill up the void of quiet space. They don't really have anything to say. It's background noise, like the fans in this room. There are some who speak with an intent to affirm their superiority. There are some who speak to create illusions. There are some who speak to avoid detection. So we are to know how we use words. And we need to know how to stop using those words. Sometimes we need to be shown that we're actually doing it because the Holy Spirit will convict us, oh, I need to move a different direction. I need to not do this. So, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. We are to be intentional about using the power of words to build people up, to build them up spiritually, to, to encourage them. Now, 
The reality is that most of us really have a pile of insecurities in our life, don't we? Every minister who stands up to preach has a bunch of insecurities. Oh, are they going to like me? Do they like the sound of my voice? Maybe they, maybe, do they think I'm, do they think I'm expressive enough? Do they think I'm flashy enough? Or do I sound like I have any kind of erudition? You know, there's all these insecurities that just come from this one act up here. Have I done my research in the word of God? Have I organized it correctly? Have I covered enough? Have I covered too much? Just from preaching. We are all a mass of insecurities. We are insecure about our standing with one another, and that takes place even in marriage and in family. Do my parents love me? Does my kid like me? Uh, does my does my husband love me? Really? We are insecure about our standing with God. There are so many areas in our lives in which we need to be built up. We need to be built up. By building up one another, it means to point us to the ground and the, the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what that means. To bring us to the word and to show us what God has unswervably, unchangeably said that bring us into a condition of reality. This is not a self-esteem commitment. We're not talking about self-esteem. We build people up by pointing them to the full provision of Christ's grace. Jesus has saved you. Jesus has saved you you if you've looked to him in faith and it has nothing to do with your worthiness you're not worthy you never were you never can be he has done it because of his love his grace and his love rooted in eternal counsels and he's not going to let you go ever. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you to the close of the age. You can make mistakes in life. You can even fail at something that you think is important and Christ will never leave you or forsake you. We point people to everything he has done to secure their life in heaven, their need for Christ and his grace. If Christ is in us, then we're expected to use speech unto life. Ministering grace doesn't mean never speaking to the matter of sin. It doesn't mean that we always say what we're thinking either. <clears throat> Proverbs 10.11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Proverbs 31.26, wise women opens her their mouth in kindness of teaching. We must be intentional about our speech. 
about speech that builds people up in their knowledge and their confidence in Christ. So it means that we must know the scriptures. And we must know scriptures that sweep away those insecurities arising from a reliance on self-confidence and resettle the heart on the power of Christ as the rock. We don't flatter them. We don't build their self-esteem. We build them solidly on the rock who is Christ. So we need to be intentional about the power of the words that we use. We're also to be aware of the circumstances. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. So we're required to be aware of the circumstances into which we are speaking as fits the occasion. Are they cast down because of failure? Heaping abuse upon them is not going to build them up. Have they made an honest mistake regarding their theology? Pounding them over the head with right theology is not going to bless them. Are they considering doing something sinful in God's eyes? Affirming them in their folly is not giving them life. It's not building them up. Are they fearful? Are they overconfident? What is it that they are doing? Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. If Jesus went through his whole life doing everything perfectly and then started to speak carelessly, he would have lost his effectiveness as a savior. He lives in us. And thus we need to speak in a way that is not careless. We need to know the situation. We need to learn the situation. We need to bring scripture to it so that people might be built on the one thing that will uphold them. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Sometimes we need to take up the voice of the prophet and declare to the the hearer the law, which points out the reality of their sin. That makes us uncomfortable. But unless you do it, there will be people who will be happily sitting in their sin, slipping their way into an eternal hell. We need to speak up. Sometimes we need to take up the voice of a comforter. Sometimes we need to take up the voice of a teacher to point to something that they haven't known before. Sometimes we need to take up the voice of a father or a mother to remind them of what they already know but have forgotten but overlooked. And sometimes we need to take up the voice of an evangelist and to declare to the hearer the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for our salvation. That which fits the occasion is knowing the circumstance that we're looking at and knowing the word well enough to realize what is best needed to build that person up in grace. When Jesus met the woman at the well, the words which were suitable unveiled her immoral living arrangements. When Jesus met and healed the blind man, 
His words were an expectation to fulfill the law. When Jesus met the woman caught in adultery, his words were forgiveness and a call to holiness. When Jesus met the self-righteous Pharisees, his words were rebuke and a call to repentance. When Jesus met the disciples ready to call down judgment on the Samaritans, his words were caution and mercy. And if Christ lives in your heart, those are things that you must take up because you're a people of truth and a people of God. We're putting off the old nature and putting on the new nature, which is being made like Christ, and we can now discern the situation and speak words that are fitting for the occasion. We need to remember to whom our tongues belong. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Our final motivation for wholesome speech is this. God himself dwells with us and dwells among us. He gives life to our mortal bodies, and he gives us divine power to live in godliness. God, the Holy Spirit, uses wholesome speech. And as he dwells in us and enables us in every fiber of our being to live for Jesus, we also will use wholesome speech. And when we don't, there should be instant repentance. There should be an instant turning to the Lord and saying, forgive me, you've given me a tongue to bless, and I have instead failed to bless. Instant. For out of the mouth comes what's in the heart. The Holy Spirit would not use rotten speech. Now, it's been said, and I I agree with this, that the church is never in danger from those who are outside, say outside the church, saying something about it, saying something bad about it. For example, in the past, in history, the church has been accused of being a collection of cannibals. You know why, right? Because we eat flesh and drink blood. In the past, the church has been declared by those who are outside to be filled with incest because brothers marry sisters. The church has been accused of being atheists because what we worship cannot be seen. Things like that. Now, there are modern naysayers who say these sorts of things. The church is not progressive enough. The church hasn't moved into the 21st century yet. We are filled with homophobes. We haven't caught up with the times. Now that kind of stuff has never really harmed the church. Words by those who are outside. What really harms the church is when we who are inside the church use rotten speech against one another and say destructive things about one another, which is why Paul always calls us, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As Ephesians 4.29, that it may minister grace to the hearers. 
We need to, we need to remember who, who's among us. is God himself who is among us. Now we are being transformed. Christ really is working right now. Each one of you has probably been convicted in some area in which you have been careless about your speech. Wonderful. That means that this afternoon you have an opportunity to come before the Lord and repent and be cleansed. Jesus says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Go tell him. Go tell him. And then thank the Lord that he's made you more advanced than when you first came to know him, at whatever age that was. So as we put off the old nature and put on the new nature and we're living out this new nature, we get to use our tongues in a life-affirming, life-giving way. May that always be the case. May that be the way in which we live in a community of love. Because it'll be known. It'll get known. And people will want to be a part of it. And if we do the other, they won't want to be a part of that. We want to be people who speak words that are apples of gold in settings of silver. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, make us this way, please. Lord Jesus Christ, pour your Holy Spirit upon us that we, that we would wrestle with our own tongues and speak those things that build others up, that give life to them, that point them to the source of true life. Holy Spirit, fill us. Enable us in every fiber of our being to live this out that we might be a people that when we open our mouths, we bless and you would be honored and glorified. Oh, our God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.